Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me for another Beer with Darren. Tonight, I am joined by Paul Rawson, who has got some phenomenal experience in the marketing uh, in marketing sector, especially in recruitment, um, but now outside of recruitment, I believe, in law, which is always an interesting transition. Paul, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. What are you drinking? I am drinking a local beer, which is from uh, one of our local breweries. I live in a little place called Ramsbottom, right at the top of Manchester. And it's by, it's called Hell's Fire, and it's by the Northern Whisper uh, Brewery, which is a little uh, microbrewery up here. Nice. What, do you know what this podcast has taught me is I need to step up my beer game because I always come with a Carlsberg or a Coors Light. <laughs> and tonight, I've, I'm no different. I've got Peroni, which <laughs> I'm just I'm just accepting I'm uncultured. And, uh, yeah, just I get marketed to by beer companies and I buy their beer. That's what I'm expecting. Either that or I, I put my hands up and admit I don't do the shopping in the household. That's uh, that's the other thing. <laughs> Your beer looks so much nicer than mine. Um, for the people watching and listening that maybe don't know you, do you mind giving a bit about your background and uh, yeah, how you end up where you are now? Yeah, so um, uh, I've done 20 years in marketing. Um, actually, it was a, a few weeks ago I mentioned on LinkedIn it's my 20th or anniversary. So I started out uh, in retail. So I started out uh, for a couple of big retailers. So I worked for a company called Magnet, a big kitchen retailer. And then I worked for Argos. Um, and then in about 2005, I started working internationally. So I worked for a company called Nord Anglia Education. They do international schools abroad. Um, so they have they have about 60 schools now. But when I worked for them, they had about 15. Um, so I've spent quite a lot of time sort of like in and around the Far East, um, China, South Korea, Singapore, um, working for that business. Um, and then I went to work for a company called BASF, which is a big German company. Um, again, all, all in marketing, all, all general marketing roles. So BASF are, are one of the world's biggest companies. They do um, all plastics for cars. Those people that are older in the audience will remember that they used to do videotapes and uh, cassette tapes. Um, but yeah, they're a massive business. And that's when I was there, I got headhunted uh, by Furcroft, which was the, my first kind of foray into recruitment. And that was in 2008. So prior to 2008, I had no uh, recruitment experience. Um, and I joined Furcroft for the international experience as opposed to the recruitment experience, really. Um, so, yeah, so, so started in Furcroft 2000 and, uh, 2008. So was there for about seven years, seven and a half years. Uh, grew that marketing team from half of us or one and a half people to, I think there was maybe 17 when we left or when I left. Um, then I went, went to work for a company called CSG, which was um, uh, a perm recruiter or predominantly perm recruiter over in Leeds. I spent a couple of years there helping that business uh, rebrand. They had seven recruitment businesses all, all came into one. So they had, they've got about maybe 130 fee earners, something like that. And then left there to, um, to work with a couple of ex-colleagues from there, set up a startup recruitment business. Um, so we started that from scratch. Uh, I was a shareholder of that business, set that up, um, uh, helped them um, build the CRM system from scratch, um, all of the brand from scratch, et cetera. So I spent about 18 months there. And then I went from there uh, to uh, Rulion, um, who are obviously a UK engineering recruitment business, um, uh, doing MSP and RPO. Um, spent about 18 months there covering maternity leave. Uh, the, those last two jobs were on contract. 
And then about the start of this year, I moved out of the sector uh, into the legal sector. So yeah, I swapped um, swapped recruiters for lawyers. Um, so yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah. You can judge it, but I'm not. I'm not sure. It's um, the 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 jury's still out. Which one? Which one? Give me most hassle. Um, but yes, yeah, so I've been there about a year, and it's a business called Metamorph. We're a, a private equity backed um, consolidator of law firms. Um, so we buy small law firms. And consolidate them into a into a bigger um, into a bigger identity, and we're looking to to float that business um, on the stock exchange on the AIM listing. I think um, the end of next year. So yeah, I, I feel like I've gone on a little bit there, but that's kind of a point of history. <laughs> well, what that shows is the the amount of experience you have, right? Which is why I'm so keen to talk to you tonight. It's uh, it's a really interesting career, and I actually want to go back to you mentioned Argos. Yes. What was your opinion when they stopped the catalogue? Did you think crazy or, or the right thing? Well, it's weird actually because um, when I was there, one of my jobs was checking catalog pages. So I used to I used to write the copy. Um, I used to have to check the the prices. So yeah, it's it's a big it's a big cultural thing. You know, it's I think for everybody of a certain age, you got the Argos catalog at Christmas. You look through it, right? But oh, I'll tick that. I'll tick that. I'll tick that. Um, and I think that it's probably the right move for them because culturally, you know, if, if you imagine an 11 year old nowadays, they're going to be just going on an app and going, right, that's a favorite, that's a favorite, that's a favorite. And then showing it to their mum and dad, here you go, this is what I want. So, so I, I thought the same until, I don't know, if, I've got I've got a um, six year old, she was six last week, so that's why I started there, uh, a six year old and a, a one and a half year old, right? And the last week what came through our door was the smith's toy store catalog oh, yeah. yeah so they've launched it to combat that and my daughter actually sat there and circled what she wanted and oh, yeah. i it was a really interesting move by them because i i got that catalog and i was like right you're gonna do what i used to do here you go <laughs> talking about vhs's and tapes I, I used to sit there with a the radio trying to listen to the song and record it at the right time yeah, yeah. that was me so i, I gave her the catalog and she still did it so i i think actually the I think it was the right move for Argos, but I think it was a, a really good play by Smith to uh, to bring yeah. out a catalogue at that time. I don't know if they do it again next year. I honestly, I think it was just this year to give us some nostalgia. Yeah, because yeah, it's a PR, that isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And, and I'm waiting for it to you know to happen. The, like the Facebook post, everyone saying about it. This very circled. I, I literally got it last week, and I thought that was you know brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's good. That's good effort. Good marketing. Yeah. Moving away from catalogs because I don't think uh, I don't think many people are doing that these days. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned you started a recruitment, Brad, and I, one of the things I find fascinating is when when marketers are involved in recruitment, we've yeah. always got slightly a different different view to what you need when you start an agency. And yeah. most most people say you just need a phone and and you know just hit that phone, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, if when you started your agency, what did you see as the fundamentals you needed to do that? Um, I think it was a, a couple of things really. One was a process. So one was to say, well, actually, this this is the kind of the, the way that we work. In all fairness, the, the the two of the guys that I started with, one of the one of those guys was a, is a phenomenal recruiter. Um, and I think if you if you, for me, the strongest recruiters are those that are exceptional recruiters, whatever that means to people. For me, it means just an excellent networker and the people with who I've worked with over the years, who are the best recruiters, are the people with just amazing memories for people. You know, I, uh, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Oh, what about a project manager in Korea? Oh, yeah, I know uh, Joe Bloggs, blah, 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 blah. If you 
supplement that with some kind of process and a CRM system, then that is kind of, in my view, unbeatable. You get those two things, you get those two things right, um, and you marry those two things, then that is a, a really strong way to to build reputation, to to build a, a fast growing recruitment business. Um, I think what tends to happen in lots of recruitment companies is they get either one of those, um, or they don't have any process. And when they get to scale, they, they they try to to put the process in. But I think if you do that from the start, I think that that it makes it easier for you to scale up. I think. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a big problem for a lot of businesses, especially in recruitment. I think there's, I think the latest stats something like forty five thousand recruitment agencies in the UK. Something, something crazy, right? And yeah. the vast majority of those are are small businesses, you know, under five people in the business. And it's yeah. because they don't, they can't get to that next level. Getting to that no. next level is the hardest thing. But it sounds like you you went straight in at the deep end with Furcroft, right? You went into a, a large, a yeah. large company. How was that transition from, um, I guess, B to C to to recruitment, which and recruitment for me is an odd one, right? Just B to B and B to C, all yeah, yeah. to one. It's its own, uh, its own category. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 weird, isn't it? You know, and, and I've seen all of your your guys' stuff about um, not the colour and in department and stuff like that, and which is great because it's supportive of marketing people, right? And I think that you know when I first got there, um, they'd not really had marketing before, and this is a big organisation, you know, sixty odd offices, you know, been going since nineteen seventy, hadn't really done anything um and you know we went we went through a process of saying well you know could we even have like so this is a business that turned over probably at the time sales were probably about like 300 million or something um and we were asking for like 20 grand for a website and oh no we can't have 20 grand what what are you going to spend that 20 grand on because that's the kind of culture that they'd come from yeah um, so you so so we went through a process there over over like I don't know, five or six years of just stepping up each time and just proving the ROI for each project that we did. Um, so yeah, in the first few, in the first couple of years, it was it was it was really tough. You know, I, I remember I went in and said, right, for a company of this size and our scope and what I was getting asked to do in the first few months when I was there. You know, I, I said, like I said, we had one and a half people there at the time, so we probably need maybe seven people. So I went to the board and I said, right, okay, we need seven people. Here's the kind of stuff that we need. And I came out of the meeting and I said, okay, that's great, Paul. You can have one. So, <laughs> um, and then that one was uh, Kieran uh, Myers, who I know you've had on on this pod on this podcast. Yeah, um, but he was he was the one that we got in, um, and from there we just grew it. Um, we we got we uh, were one of the first users of formats. What we were one of the biggest clients of format, probably in about two thousand and. 10 11 i think so we were one of the first it's definitely in the engineering sector to have a um a proper functioning um lead generation and candidate generating website um i think maybe 2011 or something um and, and then okay. from there we just grew from there really and so, so you mentioned the process because there's still many people in your in that boat although we're talking about 2010 2011 you know, fast forward a decade on, there are still marketers in recruitment businesses yeah. where the CEO doesn't see marketing as revenue generating, right? They're they're they're, they're an expense to the CFO, um, yeah. and they're there to do they're there to do branding and and fluffy things, right? The current in departments, as you as you call it, and we have got the t-shirts out to try and combat that. Yeah. What would your advice be to that marketer that's sitting in that in that chair right now? 
that wants to do all of these great things. They've read the books, they've got all the theory, but they yeah. just want to put it into practice. How do they convince the CEO or the CFO or even the salespeople to, to give them that opportunity? Yeah, I think that's, that, that's a real tough one because I think what's from looking from afar to uh, in, into the sector, you know, like you say, most companies say, say like they have 10 recruiters, they'll probably then hire a couple of admin people um, and then probably a, a marketing person who might do a bit of admin um, and, and they kind of get thrown stuff to do. And I think that the way to combat it is to be proactive and also to, to you know, to become more sales focused and say, well, here's how we're going to affect sales. Here's the ROI, et cetera, et cetera. Here's how I'm helping you build your brand. Um, I think there's, there is lots of support actually for marketing. I think it's grown over the last maybe 18 months, two years, where businesses are saying, well, all recruitment businesses are, or all recruiters are marketers anyway, um, as opposed to, as opposed to salespeople. Um, and the best, the best recruiters are really good marketers really um, in terms of understanding what a business is, uh, what their clients are, what they're selling to those clients, how do they build a network, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the advice is, is you have to be ROI driven. You have to be numbers driven. Don't be scared of the numbers and, um, and you have to get you have to get your hands dirty. You have to get in and in with the sales teams, in with the recruiters, and say, you know, how can I help you? As opposed to saying, well, I built a website, I've generated some leads. What are you doing with them? You have to really work with them, really. Um, and there's two schools of thought, isn't there? About some some marketing teams say, well, we've done all this. What are you doing with it? But actually, you you you've got to work together with recruiters because you, you can't you can't do the job exclusively separate. Yeah, I mean straight away that the what what you're doing with the leads I'm giving you that's a that's a friction that's that's, that's yeah. a it's a it's a it's it's a what's the word I guess a, an aggressive way to say it right yeah. instead it should be that those leads I gave you were they were they were they qualified were they what you expected how can yeah. I can I improve that and yeah. it's an interesting point where you talked about where you should measure on you said the ROI where where do you think marketing should be measured in an ideal world. Yeah, that, you know that's an interesting one. The, the way that we did it at Furcroft in the early days was we, we definitely did it through through candidate generation, um, and we definitely did it through um, being able to build candidate networks through through the website, which we, which they hadn't done before. Um, and then I think now, um, from a point of view point of view of lead gen, it's much cheaper to do things today. You know, you can you can implement HubSpot as as one example, as we did at Rudion, for a relatively small sum and a relatively little hassle where you can manage your ROI and manage the relationship between sales and marketing relatively easily, um, as opposed to like, I don't know, three or four or five years ago. And that's yeah, kind and, of... Do you, believe in, do you believe in MQLs and SQLs and all of that, all of that stuff? No. Or do you think it's uh, simpler than that? What, what, how, do you, how, how do you define leads internally and... And what they should yeah. be. It's interesting because uh, I joined. Um, I'm not sure I should say this on on uh, on, on record, but yeah, <laughs> one of the businesses that I joined, basically the marketing team were um, were targeted just to generate 150 leads a month. That's essentially what they were targeted on, not to generate anything that would generate income, but 150 leads. Right, get 150 people. You know, whether that's 150 people, you know, downloading stuff or coming to events, just get just get our name out there essentially doesn't mean anything 
and that's and that's kind of the um the friction between the mql and the sql handover it doesn't mean anything unless unless it generates um fees at the end of the day and generates income um you can have a, you can have a thousand leads um and not do anything with them but you might yeah. you, you might you might get business from five from five companies and that's you know that's 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 i've always got i've always had an issue between mqls and sqls and the handover and what's happening because um there is a definite disconnect in 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 markets you see it across all sectors not just in recruitment but all sectors around well we, we you know marketing's were here to generate leads versus sales well why aren't you why aren't you converting the leads we've given you that, that and you said before about friction and that's kind of where it comes from yeah and no, I, I always say to people and we're trying our best to do it internally as well because we've we're starting that marketing journey ourselves and you know my background is tech so this is all new to me i've read books i've read i've read neil patel's blog like there's no tomorrow you wouldn't believe it um yeah. but uh they get to a point where there's so many so much different advice out there you just need to take the bits that actually resonate with you and the yeah. one thing that really got me was don't measure leads measure revenue and make sure everyone knows what your revenue goals are for this year uh, and everyone's working towards that because yeah. At the end of the day, if that happens, everything's good. But if it doesn't happen, that's when you can sort of pick apart where did it go wrong. Yeah. Um, and and that's what we're trying to do uh, at the moment. Everyone I'm speaking to, uh, the majority of marketers say they're, they're measured on revenue. But <laughs> quite a few people say, actually, I'm measured on, when it comes down to it, I'm measured on MQLs. And if I'm not delivering a certain number each month, that's when people you know, will have a problem. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I don't, I don't think anyone solved it. Per se, um, no. but uh, I don't think anyone sol solved it in in any sector because um, because everybody still talks about um, the marketing funnel like it's one linear journey that a lead will come in at the top and then they'll come through and we'll send them a case study and then they'll get engaged and then they'll and then they'll immediately convert. You know, marketing isn't especially when there's people involved in a people business like recruitment. It's not a linear journey. Um, there'll be lots of different touch points, and that might make it more difficult for you to to measure ROI. But then you just got to to trust the process, um, yeah. and and I think that's that. Yeah, that's that's you know you get people say, well, I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm here to generate leads, but I don't know. It's like you were to generate a hundred leads in a recruitment business of um, I don't know, like fifteen fee earners. What's the point if they only need three to convert? And that's kind of you know where like the aid uh, the account based marketing approach comes in, where you're saying, well, let's talk about our our key clients and what the, and what those targets are, um, and know on what those conversations should be. And th this is this is what really fascinates me because I, I'm researching account based marketing at the moment, and I, I'd love you to correct me and tell me what it is because my my understanding is you actually say right these are the say top 100 people we'd like to work with. And then you work out how to market just to those people, rather than the rest of your marketing is quite widespread. Is that is that fair enough? Yeah, I like to describe it. So it's so the best stat that I've heard is Accenture, um, um, the consulting business who must who work with tens of thousands of businesses across the world, have eight people in the UK that do account based marketing to target twenty companies only. So those. Right. Those eight people, full-time job is just to produce content specifically for um, target individuals in those 20 businesses. 
So and what, what sort of content would you produce just to target those people? Because would you not be better at, and this is going to sound really, I, I think this is going to sound pretty dumb, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it's what's on my mind. Would you not be better just saying to a salesperson, hey, you need to get through to that person and, and call them and, and build a relationship? Yeah, well, that, yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like a, a secondary strategy to do that, isn't it? But it's also the flip side of that is to say, if you produce content specifically for that individual, then that enables you to start a conversation with some content or, or a follow up on the content. And that's and that's certainly where like the ABM approach can help, certainly in recruitment, where if you're if lots of recruiters are contacting um, client contacts, you know, as and when there's a candidate available, as an as an example, lots of lots of contacts with clients or the opportunity for contact with clients is lost because it's always a sales opportunity. Whereas actually an ABM approach might be, well, we've got here's the 20 clients that we want to work with that are on a particular hit list, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. Let's produce content for these individuals, send it to them, however you want to send it to them. You can send it, you know, together or you can send it via, via a recruiter. Then the follow-up call from a recruiter is, oh, I sent you some information about whatever it is, you know, market or particular projects going on or what's what the what the client is, is interested in from a, a workforce point of view. And then you follow up and that just builds a relationship that way. And I think that that's 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 the difference is that I've always said that it just enables different conversations to happen between recruiters as opposed to be it being about have you got any jobs, have you got any vacancies? Here's a candidate. Um, do you think he could he could fit into your organization or they could fit into your organization? Um, so you'd argue that I think I would argue that account based marketing is so much more relevant during COVID than than before. Because giving some of the reason to make a phone call is like gold dust right now because there yeah. are no jobs for a lot of people. So that, that conversation, you need something to light the fire. Um, so I guess that's where ABM can really come into its own right now. Yeah, if you think about um, you know, if, you, if, if you think about some of the businesses that I've worked with where the opportunity um, for a, an RPO or for an MSP is you know, massive, you know, maybe three, 400 jobs each year. Um, and you're not really specking candidates in there like you like you would do in a in a in a perm business. The opportunity there for you to build a relationship and and to have a mutual relationship, et cetera, et cetera, is massive. But you just need to get into those businesses and, and all of the every single um, hiring manager or HR director or MD that would be a, which recruitment companies who would be approaching all of the time about how to sell sell into. Let's call it that now are saying well what's going on in the market i don't understand you know are my competitors um looking for people what's the market how would candidates move what would take a, can a good candidate to move um how do i get this candidate to come and work for my business um all of those different things are the, the, the word that's missing i think in recruitment for me is um we the sector's forgotten the word recruitment consultant that that word consultant is very very important. I think where you work in a consultative approach to say, oh, have you thought about this or what about this client? And and there are so many great products out there now that give you all of this data, but most clients don't have time to look at it. If you're a, I don't know, like a an engineering director that's running billion pound projects, and you know you've got staff shortages, you haven't got the time to work out what you should be paying people or. Or, or even if you can get people or what your competitors are doing. And that's kind of where the gap is for, for, for content, I think, at the moment.
Yeah, absolutely. I think the I think the salary surveys can be used better. Uh, I see so oh, many yeah. salary surveys just literally shared out to LinkedIn, and and that's it. And they don't actually think, well, if we go more specific with that data, how can yeah. we provide that to somebody? That's uh, and the salary surveys. I I read them just because I I'm, I find it interesting. You know, if I see a tech salary survey, I'm like, right, well. If uh, if pager doesn't work out, let's see how much I'm going to be earning. That's it. You know, <laughs> I love one reading them. One of the best um, bits of business that I was involved in, and um, we had um, when I was at CSG, we had somebody sell a um, market mapping. We had a a sort of like um, a research team there. Somebody sold a, a market mapping project for a client. Um, so it wasn't recruitment. It wasn't filling jobs, and they sold that market mapping for about 130 grand. So one fee, one hundred and thirty grand, and they just they were mapping out. Um, I think it was chemical producers and distributors in the Middle East and the Far East that that a client, a previous client, so somebody, a candidate that had been placed in a business had gone into the business and said, "Well, I want to make the changes here, but I don't know what our competitors are doing. I don't know who's in the market, what type of job roles everyone's doing, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. They came back to that recruiter and said. I really love to understand this. Is this something you could help with? And they said, "Yeah, we could do all of that. It's three weeks' work. Blah blah blah. It will cost you this." And that's that's kind of um, the consultative approach when it works. Like a hundred and thirty grand fee for not actually doing any recruitment, and for three weeks' work. I mean, that sounds sounds very good, right? It's almost yeah. footballer wages, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you might need to edit that out, and just in case that client reads that back and says, "Hang on, have I paid too much for that?" But that. that <laughs> That's the type of consultative work where recruit, good recruiters that are on the call face every day, speaking to candidates, speaking to hiring managers, building that data, building that information. That's what clients want to understand. They want to know, they want to get a feel, don't they? Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I'm, because we're looking at ABM right now, and you know, I've gone through the process of identifying the top 100 people I want to work with. I'll probably narrow that down further. The bit that I was unsure on, and I'd love to get your advice on this, is how does pay-per-click play a part in that? Would you have a narrow audience like that and actually use pay-per-click to get the content in there? Or would you go for the more direct approach of email marketing? Um, a, a bit of both. So um, to give you one example, we did it. I won't give you the client name, but we did it when we were at Rulion. The first time where we, we really said, right, okay, let's do let's do something for this particular client. So it was a client in the engineering sector that was um, – uh, that was going to be coming out to tender. So we knew they were going to be coming out to tender. And we had, I think, two contacts there. Um, the the person who had managed the contract and, and a hiring manager. The the contract was held by somebody else. So what we did was say, right, let's let's get some bespoke content. So we, we had some bespoke content. Um, it was in the um, resources sector. So it was called Talent on Tap, which was just a it was a it was a eight-page PDF, which was um like a, a research based on what's going on in the sector, what you know, what would make candidates move, all of that stuff that I talked about. And this one client, all we did was spend, I think maybe like four grand, I think, on LinkedIn advertising just at people at this one client with this piece of content. Wow. Uh, and then we went from that, we went from the two contacts to I think 16 contacts, all relevant, all, all qualified. Um, and then I think we had another three meetings prior to that um, tender coming out. So it's it's that type of um, LinkedIn gives you um, the the definition to say let's just target that company. 
Um, Which is a really interesting thing because, you know, and it is worth the money, right? Because if you can say we're going to get these contacts at this company, we know that that company can give us X amount of, of revenue. It's definitely worth the, the pay-per-click spend and the budget. Um, yeah. And if anything, I, I'll be honest, I find Facebook ads and, you know, Google AdWords, it's a bit it's a bit spray and hope. Like you, you, it's a really wide net you're casting. And yeah, you get these leads coming through, but every time, you know, you're filtering out to the point where companies now have got SDRs in place to filter out yeah. leads before they reach the right person, which yeah. for me feels wrong. You know, it's, if you've got to apply a human in the middle of your salesperson to actually yeah. filter leads, feels a bit bit of a strange thing to me. Have you ever been in that that situation where you've had to filter leads before they get passed through? Um, we had I've had conversations about it around what should happen with them, um, but. If you, if you go back to the LinkedIn, if you go back to what we talked about before about um, what should marketing people get targeted on, lots of stuff around that top of that funnel, around the awareness stage. If you do if you do ABM and say, right, okay, let's just do a LinkedIn campaign where you can target companies and you can target job title and just say, right, we're just going to spend five grand or 10 grand or whatever you want to spend, two grand, just for these 20 companies these job titles, so it might be, I don't know, manager above or whatever, or just director level. And when you then talk about awareness, which you can say, oh, yeah, here's our website, it's blah, 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 blah. When you talk about awareness, that, that, that awareness is defined by your target market. So it's it's proper awareness. It isn't, like you say, it isn't wasted on Facebook views or Google views or randoms clicking on your, on your adverts. If you're saying, well, this advert will only be seen by managers and directors in the companies that we want to work with. Why wouldn't you do it? And that's and that's kind of um, the definition of it, isn't it? To say, well, you know, LinkedIn um, is is an is an amazing tool for you to enable you to do that. Um, and that's that's just advertising before you go into right. How do we use InMail to do that, or how do we use you know proper profiling on all on all of that other stuff? Um, for I I think it's fantastic that you can do that now because previously before five years ago you wouldn't be able to have done that. No, it's very true. LinkedIn for me is a is a complete game changer. It's it's one thing I did straight away when we started the business was to invest in personal brand. Um, you know, I, my first LinkedIn video, I'll be honest, it was thirty seconds long, and I took around an hour and a half to film it. It was, <laughs> yeah, I was, oh no, no, that doesn't look right. You can see my lazy eye in that one, and no, oh, there's my third chin. I'm not putting that out. Uh, and it's amazing how quickly over time, once you start putting content out onto LinkedIn and you get used to it and you accept that actually nobody cares. It's only you that looks at every single thing. Um, yeah. yeah, that thirty second clip now is you know the thirty seconds because I take. One, one one click on my phone, I put it out, you know, put some subtitles on it, whatever it may be. And what I realize is when you get to that point, when you're doing those 30 second clips or minute clips, your ROI is so fantastic because it's only taking you a minute. Yeah. But the the time when I spent an hour on that 30 second clip was a complete waste. So it's it's an interesting thing. What's your what's your view on personal brands on LinkedIn? I'm not going to say the word influencers. I'm going to say personal brands, people with personal brands. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's definitely relevant, I think, in in for recruitment because my my viewpoint on on brand in the sector in is that actually um, most recruiters have their own personal brand anyway. It doesn't mean that they do blogs or that they do content. It means that they are known within their sectors. So if I need a job or I need a person, I'm going to go to that guy, or I'm going to go to that person. 
and and that and that is the difference right so when people talk about personal brands and i see you know, there's, there's lots of good experts out there um um who, who talk a lot about personal brand and, and are selling it very well into the sector recruiters have always had personal brands they've just not taken it and made it i don't know sexy or or you know developed it into something that looks nice um but yeah 100 percent. i as, as long as, as the personal brands people need to um you know develop value and just continue to develop value and i think what you said there before about it some of the time it's just turning up so people see you and say well actually oh that's great i'll i'll, I'll interact a bit more with them etc cetera, etc cetera. as long as it, you've got a relatively good network it will work for you um if you haven't then the algorithm in linkedin which is obviously the main way people push their personal brand will work against you anyway um, yeah, you're just yeah. If you if you're shouting to nobody, there's no point shouting, right? Uh, that's, that's why. That's why I do during arguments with the wife. I just sit there and I'll be quiet so she can stop shouting. That's uh, that's my <laughs> tactic. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about my wife because she might watch this. Um, <laughs> See, well, I know mine when she's fed up of, of watching the Green podcast. There's no yeah. chance she's going to listen to this. Yeah, exactly. If you do, though, I love you very, very much. If you're listening to this, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think the personal brands are are really important. I think there's obviously lots of good people that are helping um, recruiters shape them. They, they, they've they've always had personal brands. What they're doing is doing a bit more, like I say, the more of the the fluffy stuff around it. Um, but the ultimate thing about a personal brand is that you need to be seen to be the go-to person. The way that it was described to me uh, when I was at CSG, actually, um, uh, by the owner there is a guy called Wayne Underwood who who really appreciated. So he's a recruiter, you know, through and through, and he appreciated what what marketing is, and he wanted all of his mark all of his recruiters to go on CIM courses and all of this stuff. So he really appreciated what the fundamentals of marketing was, and he said that. Um, Recruitment is a little bit like a snake snake and ladders board is that you need to know everybody down one column, which is all of the all of your candidates, everyone down the other column and just pick a square. If you are known by everybody in that square, everybody in your sector um, who has either a candidate or a hiring manager, you just network with them all of the time. You will be known as the go to person. And if you and if you spend time doing that and you just pick one square out of a whole sector you just pick one niche or whatever however you want to describe it then you'll become known as it and that's that's proper for me that's proper proper personal branding i completely agree and that's why i i strongly believe generally generalist recruitment is dead and yeah. specialist recruitment is where it needs to be but to the point where i'm not talking about being a tech recruiter i'm talking about being a a Python recruiter, actually not just being a Python recruiter, some of the only recruits data scientists in Python. Um, so you're going even more niche than ever before. Um, yeah. And and it's those people that I think have the chance to be, I don't want to say own that niche because I don't think you can be an influencer in Python. But what you can be is, is, a, is somebody that is the go-to person for recruitment in Python. I think if you put the two things together, yeah, exactly. uh, no, I, don't, I don't expect a recruiter to say, oh, there's a new, version of python and and white spaces is, is less important than it was before uh, and if you listen to this and you understand what i mean you know how frustrating white spaces in python are uh, but the idea that they can say recruit the salary of this recruiter the salary of somebody in python the locations you want to try and move to if you want to get a job in python those are the sorts of things i think they should be able to own and, and be known for yeah definitely um, i see too many people trying to trying to be the candidate be the person that they recruit for um, and it, it's just setting up to foul because you will have conversations with candidates and you won't be able to talk about 
Python programming languages and stuff like that. I'd, I'd love to think, I would love to think there's a recruiter out there that can. Um, there's only one person I know of, and I will give him a shout out. It's um, Peter Sargent, uh, is the previous CTO of uh, Broadbean. He's right. now a recruiter. So he's, he's made a shift from um, techie to recruiter. Um, and he recruits for Perl developers, which is a very old language, uh, which I know as well. So yeah, uh, shout out to you, Pete, for being <laughs> the one the one guy that could pass a coding test uh, that you actually send to people. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, a lot of the a lot of the best recruiters um, are people that have come from from the sector. You know, and they know the sector, they know people, they know how to network. You know, that's certainly what you see at the top end. That's certainly what you see in executive search, where. Um, you know, some of those some of those executive search teams actively go out and say to people, I don't know, you know, pretty senior people, well, why don't you come and work in executive search? It'd be great for us. Um, yeah. And 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 I think it's just having a little element of that. It's having a little bit of knowledge, but understanding that you're not you're not you're not the expert in it. Um, and 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 I think that's the, the, the you know it's a really it's a really fine balance to get right. I think from a point of view of recruitment, being able to just know enough to get by, but not feel like you have to know everything. Um, you, you need to know the skills of the type of candidates that your clients are looking for, and also know the fact, you know, what type of culture your clients are looking for, all of these different types of things which, which enable a successful uh, placement. But you're not going to know how that person does, you're not going to know how that person does their job day in, day out. 99% of recruiters do not know that um what they no, need to, they don't need to do they no they don't, they don't need what they need to know is how to help solve the problem that the client or the candidate has which is ultimately what sales is right helping to solve problems that's where it falls into the last two questions before we finish up because i always like to ask these um the first one is a piece of advice for somebody just starting their marketing career what would your number one piece of advice be you can't say act like a sponge because everyone says that so that's off the table do do a CIM qualification. Don't complain about not being taken seriously at whatever if you don't have some kind of professional qualification. Um, I think there's some amazing courses out there at the moment in terms of technical courses, but the CIM courses um, give you a grounding in in what marketing should be in, in lots of businesses. So find that course, do that course. Um, get some sort of like technical marketing knowledge as opposed to what you said before about theory. Out of interest, you know um, roughly what the cost of a course is. Is it? Uh, I think they. I think they. They start at um, you know probably about like like twelve hundred quid something like that. There, there, there are different levels in the CIM, and you could do the digital stuff. But um, it's a little bit like you know I always say about accountancy, right? You, you don't you know accountants always. Um, get the top jobs. There's lots of accountants that are CEOs, even in recruitment businesses, there are lots of accountants that are CEOs. Um, and they have a set standard. You know, the, the, whatever their, their qualification gives them a set standard. So you know that you're the set standard. And that's maybe a bit of the marketing's failing is that we don't have that set standard. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I'm going to look into it because, um, yeah, we. I like to think we invest in people at Page. And uh, I think that's probably one of the best courses we could send uh, Emily on, who's a uh, part of Pager. Um, yeah. The last question, and it's my favorite question, is biggest marketing fuck up. What have you spent money on and regretted it or bought into the business and regretted it? You don't have to name particular names, but what's your biggest time when you thought, oh, shit? Well, there's been loads. Um, I shouldn't say that, should I? But um, 
since I've been in recruitment as well, I've also um, run and managed bid functions. So there's been a couple of times where we've completely fucked up on bids. Um, and then when you say it's completely like wrong logos and stuff or just, yeah, like put left, left an old client name in or printed something out that had to go as a, like a printed um, document to a client. Um, and it, and we, we'd left a page out or something. Uh, so yeah, there's been, there's been quite a few, if, sorry, if anyone's watching this that worked for me in bids, it wasn't your fault. It was definitely my fault. Um, yeah. but yeah, so voice, so that, that, and that is proper pressure environment in, you know, in the bigger recruitment companies where you're working in bids, that's, that's, that's proper pressure. And it's, it's not a, it's not an easy job whatsoever. So there's been a couple of those fuck ups. Um, yeah, I, you know, I've, I've not really had that many, um, I'm trying to think about my Argos days. If I did something, if I fucked up there, <laughs> I missed the page on the catalog. Missed the, the index bit out. Ninety-nine pound instead of nine hundred and ninety-nine pound. <laughs> oh, brilliant! <laughs> well, Paul, I've really, really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, is there anything you want to add on to the end? You're more than welcome to plug anything you're saying. I don't think you are saying. I think you're just doing this out of the goodness of your heart. So, man, I don't sell. I'm just, I'm just here to help people. So, um, yeah, no, I'm not selling anything. <laughs> <laughs> You're a star. Well, thank you so much. And if anyone wants to connect with Paul on LinkedIn, just Paul Rawson. Um, absolutely fantastic guy. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no, cheers. Thank you. Enjoyed that.